There are three things they have learned never to discuss with people. Religion, politics, and the Great Pumpkin. You're wasting your time. The Great Pumpkin is a fake. Everyone tells me you are a fake, but I believe in you. P.S. If you really are a fake, don't tell me. I don't want to know. What are you doing, Linus? I'd rather not say. You might laugh. Oh, I never laugh at you, Linus. You're so intelligent. I'm writing to the Great Pumpkin. You say the cutest things. On Halloween night, the Great Pumpkin rises out of the pumpkin patch. And it flies through the air to bring toys to all the good little children everywhere. Wouldn't you like to sit with me in the pumpkin patch on Halloween night and wait for the Great Pumpkin? Oh, I'd love to, Linus. What's going on here? What are you trying to do to my little sister? That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the 200th episode of The Fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Reed Lackey, and typically with me is fellow co-host, longtime friend uh, for more than two decades now and podcast fellow podcast host for more than four years, Mr. Nathan Rouse. He was here earlier, but then he said he had an appointment, he had to run out and find the most sincere, not a hint of hypocrisy, uh, pumpkin patch that he could possibly find because he had to wait all night for the arrival of some, I don't know, some some great something. I can't remember exactly what he said now that I think about it. But anyway, I'm sure we'll hear from him at some point. Uh, If not, then I have a lot of thoughts. And I'm rarely given the opportunity to actually sit here and share my thoughts. Um, so I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll just be me for a little while. So so maybe I should just get a couple of things out of the way because in the meanwhile, in the meantime, let me uh, welcome you, dear listener, to October and a run of episodes this month, uh, all month long, dealing with that most treasured of hallowed holidays. A series dubbed affectionately, "This is." Halloween. Hashtag, this is Halloween. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, because uh, here at The Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain, except for right now, when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch The Fear of God on YouTube. You can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com, where you'll find episode archives, merchandise, including cell phone cases, t-shirts, campaign buttons, face masks. Uh, they're meant for others. Not for you. Just remember that. You can also find magnets, pillows. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I think I hear something. I wonder what happens when this... Nathan? Is that you? 
Oh. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey. hey. You know what's really funny about that moment that just happened is you and I have never done that where you had to turn my stuff back on and it. the reason you had to wait there a second is it prompted me. Do you want to turn on your, your camera? Do you want to turn on your mic? It was two Are separate sure? prompts. I was like, oh, yes, yes, he's waiting on me. You know. I do, I do, I do. Please, please, please don't pressure please. me, okay? I'm not sure. This is no, new territory for me. I know it's episode 200. It's got to be special. Read. Oh, my gosh. Read. It's 200 episode 200. episodes. This is crazy. Let's just do the same thing we always do. That's a good idea. Have an awesome conversation. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to it. It's going to be exciting. You know what? Uh, we have we have quite a few things to get to, and I think a, a lengthy bit of conversation to, ha- to be had. So uh, do we have any business that we got to get out of the way, first and foremost? I believe we do. So perhaps, mayhap, we hmm. should do a little business time. A little business time. Okay. Well, why don't uh, you start off with uh, a little preview of what we've got going up in uh, like a couple of weeks, in case listeners I'll want to do that. For it. Thank you. No problem. Uh, I'm, I'm, I need to... Oh, I'm not used to being off mm. that long. Yeah, so it's a little awkward. Yeah, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, so now you know what it feels like. Show. Is it on now? Are we on now? We're on. We're on. We're good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, so in a couple of weeks, it's business time. Only two main points this week. Uh, one of those is two weeks from now. Wow. From the day this episode releases, uh, not only is election day uh, in the United States. Uh, but we have also quite intentionally timed our next quarterly King, which is going to be the book, the dead zone by Stephen King. Ta-da. Um, I have begun reading this for the first time. And by reading, I mean, listening to James Franco, uh, read it to me at 1.5 speed. Um, he does a good job. but <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does, especially at 1.5 speed. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm enjoying that. Uh, I had seen the, the, the movie before with you, but, Mm-hmm. We are going to talk about it with ourselves and our pod bros here in a couple of weeks. It's going to be so fun. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Who knows what that conversation will yield? <laughs> who knows what will happen the day it releases? Sure. Who sure. knows, Riri? So this, that's number one, is read and or plan to watch The Dead Zone. All right. All right. Um, so the next bit of business, uh, and listeners, many of you have already done this. Uh, we've actually gotten some really great responses already, but... Uh, you have lots of opportunities still to go to the fear of God podcast.com and click on the banner at the top. And that'll take you to the remaining surveys for your favorite horror films all the way from 2013 up through 2020. So we are going to, for the rest of the year after dead zone, we are going to be year by year counting down your favorites and featuring conversations from those lists. So we need you to get out the vote before you get out the vote for real, please do, uh, then go to the fearofgodpodcast.com and click on that banner to take you to those surveys. Cast your vote for your favorite horror they films. They are definitely there now. Yes, so. absolutely. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they uh, and like I said, many of you have already voted. If you have not voted, then please, uh, those surveys will begin to go away as we begin to record those episodes. So don't delay. Make haste. Go to, uh, go to the fearofgodpodcast.com and cast your vote for your favorite horror films for the remainder of the decade. Uh, and yeah, this is, this is going to be very exciting. I'm already very interested to see how the lists are going to shake up based on some of the votes that have already come in. It's, it's, might you it's say really you're giddy with anticipation? I am giddy with anticipation. That's okay. <laughs> That's a little much, Reed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> giddy up. Okay. So, um, oh. so yeah, that, that, that's business time. That's it. Yeah. Business time. Let's get down to business. We're at episode 200. Did you ever think 
That's crazy. Uh, you know what? I remember summer. Let's flashback mm-hmm. with me here. All right. Summer of 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were to debut late August, right? Yes, we debuted in August. Somewhere thereabouts. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. This would have been June or July of 2016. I think July, yeah. Well, this is when I'm referring to not when we launched, but when I first oh. listened to the f- first edits of those first few episodes. Because oh, yeah. you had, you had, you know, sent them along to me via the interwebs. And I remember being at the beach with my family and just excusing myself to go listen to myself talk to my buddy. <laughs> and I was like, these guys are just really lethargic and. <laughs> Low energy. <laughs> what are we gonna do? We gotta inject some sort of uh, energy into these gotta, guys. I don't know. This is why I'm drinking coffee right now. At I feel like 9 p.m. Hmm. I feel like we've told this story before, but you know those those first ten episodes are such a, a a bottle of of time because those first ten episodes we recorded with zero feedback. We we banked all ten of those first ten before we even published one of them. Um, that was smart. And so I remember distinctly, you know, we, we had our run up through, you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane and Sinister and, you know, the first two Conjuring films. And, and so we did all of that. And then I, I will never forget, I feel like when we finally started to hit a rhythm, it's still all of the different recording sessions that we've had. One of the most memorable recording times for me, I had the day off and my family who were, were on break, uh, they had gone up to see my wife's parents. And so that individual day parsed out throughout the day. We recorded all four of the John Carpenter episodes. So we recorded, mm-hmm. um, they, we recorded the fog like early in the morning. Then we recorded They Live, we recorded The Thing, and then ending with Halloween. And you can hear, I can, maybe other listeners wouldn't be able to pick up on it, but if you listen to the fo- those four episodes in succession, you can kind of hear the natural, normal rhythm of our regular conversation finally kick in. I feel like those first six episodes, we're very sort of like, oh, we have to Buttoned be... Buttoned up, yeah. Yeah, we have to be podcast voice, and we have to blah, blah, blah. But you can kind of hear, by the time it gets to Halloween, we're just two friends talking, which I feel like has, has very much been what the show has become. Sure. And I love that about it. So, um, so yeah. Well, good. Special special recording. And time. now, here we are, like Mr. Electrico at about 200, you know, uh, 200 episodes in. Ancient. Um, It's wild. Yeah, it's pretty you crazy. Know, Four I, years later. Even in our Januaries now, when we kind of do a downtime, I'm like, ah, I wonder how Reed's doing. <laughs> <laughs> what does he work on when he's not got a podcast to, every single week to do? I what don't is understand. normal life? Oh, um, that's funny. So no, here we are at episode 200. It has been a raucous, rip-roaring ride to get here. And mm-hmm. I mean, if you'll have me, I'm I'm down for at least another Two or three. Oh, easily. A uh, hundred. Easily. <laughs> <laughs> no, easily, easily. Uh, sh- any, other, any other thoughts that you'd like to share about being an episode I just have really, so, so I, I will say this, and we won't wax too poetic too early, but um, the show is certainly very niche, but uh, its listenership 
while you know it wouldn't be breaking down any advertising doors, its listenership is plentiful and strong. And I cannot thank enough the listeners who have stayed with us, uh, particularly those, although we love all of them, particularly those who uh, engage with us directly, have reached out to us for dialogue and conversation, whether that be through social media, through email or something. Um, I feel like this particular little community of foggers, um, I just... There have been people who have enriched my heart, uh, and and it, it's it's been very therapeutic. It's been very soul warming. It's um, it, there have been times, particularly in difficult days like 2020, has had far too many of its share, uh, where the ability to have this conversation with you, my dear dear friend, and then be able to engage that in a broader community. I'm just so incredibly grateful for, uh, you know, the people that we've, that we've met through the internet. I'm very, very grateful for our pod bros, uh, very specifically, not that, you know, we show favorites or anything, but I mean, like we, we wouldn't have the friendships that we have in that little group of people, which I am so immensely grateful for, if not for this uh, platform and outlet and community. And I just, uh, it's just, it just warms my heart. I, um, I'm just, I'm very, very grateful for this show and its place in my life four years in. Uh, I do not, although I'm sure uh, time will do what time does, uh, I, I do not foresee a world in which this show does not uh, play a part. So, um, so yeah, I'm just very grateful for it. I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude. Yeah. You're, you're getting me all sentimental now, but um, it's funny. I was, maybe I was listening to end game or something. I I don't know. One, one of our pretty strong conversations of late and not that they're ever not strong, (laughs) but, um, and I just remember thinking like, I don't even know how to articulate this, but, how weird it is to feel so nourished by these conversations after the conversations, if that makes Uh, any sense whatsoever, you know, like, yeah, of course, like there's, there's fruitfulness in the immediate dialogue. Mm -hmm. And yet then at the same time, there's later like, man, this is really, you know, whether it's, whether it's sharing a thing, we're personally learning and and mixing it into the conversation that's happening. um, That then becomes kind of, a document or some version of posterity that we get to reflect on after the fact. Um, I was sharing with my wife, how weird it is recently that I learn a lot about me listening to us. (laughs) Uh, I understand. (laughs) Again, I know it's a little weird, but, uh, but no, I am, I am immensely grateful for this show and for the community that has, birthed up around it and for you my good friend and this all feels like a decent segue riri for i don't know a few sound bites you feel like we should uh let the people have their say yes i think that's a great idea or should we elector college that crap (laughs) no go ahead (laughs) wow wow whoa 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 nathan just voted today he's feeling all the things (laughs) so um so what we're going to do now listeners is we submitted uh or requested of you to send in your sound bites um so we have collected those together and so for the next little bit kick back and you will hear your own voices on the pod if you submitted one thank you so very much to everyone who submitted and for, for all your kind words we really really appreciate it so kick back relax for a little bit um and you'll and and you'll enjoy and hear those sound bites thank you again so much to the greater fog community for all that you submitted and uh for your very very kind words we really appreciate it so here they are hey it's john from two geek soup hello reed and nathan this is steve beckley hi reed hi nathan it's abby from colorado springs hi everyone it's foreign correspondent vera gowdy here howdy y'all 
It's Jackson Harper in Nashville, Tennessee. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Hey, guys. Ernst Mantler here, a fellow Lindelof obsessive from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Hey, Mark Schwarzenegger here with my wife, Asia Schwarzenegger. Say hi, Asia. Hello, everybody. Hello, Reed and Nathan. Uh, this is Matthew White Chocolate McDougal. Just saying a shout-out and a congratulations on the milestone uh, 200 episodes for the podcast. Hey guys, it's one of your resident crazy Canadian listeners here, and I just wanted to say congratulations on 200 episodes. I wanted to say congratulations to Nathan and Reed on 200 episodes. What an amazing milestone. Hey fellas, this is Blake Collier. I'm out here in the middle of nowhere scaring the crap out of myself. This is David Poolers. So years ago at the Christian comic book convention Alpha and Omega Con, I met Tyler Smith of More Than One Lesson, and we had a fun conversation about the classic horror movie April Fool's Day. And so I started listening to his podcast, and soon enough he introduced his co-host, I believe Reed, talking about his podcast fear of god and so i had to listen to that so why do i keep coming back to the fear of god podcast well reed and nathan the two of you are what make this podcast what it is reed and nathan i feel so blessed to have you as brothers in the faith and buddies in podcasting what is my favorite thing about the fear of god i think it is both of you both hosts I love the fear of God because of you guys. I so appreciate the personal connections and the vulnerability you bring to the conversations you have on the films you explore. There's a ton of things I could touch on that I love about the Fear of God podcast, like Nathan and Reed's relationship, the intersection of horror and faith, a ton of things I could mention. The reason I love and henceforth listen to the Fear of God podcast is as a fairly new purposeful watcher of the horror genre, the discussions in the podcast opt for a deeper conversation and exploration of the topics explored in the movies of the genre that are generally not explored in other genres. Beyond, while not dismissing the that ain't right aspect of horror movies. And the reason I love the fear of God is because I love horror movies and I love the divine. And y'all help me connect those dots in a way that not a lot of people could. I love this podcast and I love being a part of the fuck community and you guys always bring such incredible insight to discussions of faith, film and horror and having a like-minded community to be able to celebrate faith and horror together is a real gift. Just hoping that at the end of the day the Saw episode I was on reaches number one uh, before I die out here. So yeah, if y'all could uh, make sure that happens, you know, fudge the numbers if you need to. Uh, one of the many reasons I love the show is the amazing uh, intellectual and at times sobering conversations about different movies and TV shows and the themes that they are uh, trying to convey to the viewer. Your honesty in your discussions with each other and the way that you've cultivated a community, not only in how you engage your listenership from week to week, but also in how you engage on social media. And it has been great listening to you guys ever since. And the Facebook group is awesome as well. I love interacting with people there too. Um, maybe, you know, push the numbers on the Pontypool one as well, because uh, I, I like that movie better. 
your show and your conversations are just a little bit of proof to the idea that we can't be followers of Christ alone, that we need our other members of the body of Christ to be all that God wants us to be. Their qualities complement each other so well. Reed has this encyclopedic knowledge of film and Nathan has this silliness and the ability to cite contemporary scholars and both of you uh, speak from the heart so well all the time and I can't thank you enough for enriching my life from week to week with your horrifically good talks. Um, I love that you balance um, the scary and the sacred so well. You are so responsive. I mean, every time I've tweeted you, you've responded, and I feel like we could genuinely be friends in real life if that ever happens. Just coming at it from a Christian perspective as well, just because in the Christian community, there's not a lot of people who are diving into horror or the gruesome or anything like that. And so it's a great kind of outlet for me just be able to kind of hear what people of the faith have to say about some amazing and some not so amazing uh, films in the industry. The ability that the two of you have to draw out what it means to be like Jesus in stories from the horror genre continues to remind me of the redemptive elements that can be found in all genres of film. And my favorite episode is still the one about The Exorcist because that movie is about how perfect love casts out all fear. And that is something that we desperately need to remember these days. And I thank y'all for helping me remember that. Thanks so much for all the effort that is required into making and doing a thing, especially all the vulnerability you both share with us foggers in your discussions. I think specifically though, what I will mention is when I first discovered the podcast was when I was a few years ago when I was a Domino's delivery driver. And for hours into the night, to midnight to one in the morning, I used to drive around for hours delivering pizzas and listening to this podcast. And it just was endless amounts of entertainment. And it was a ton of fun to get my wife hooked on the podcast. So that's what I love. Asia, what do you love about the podcast? My favorite thing about the Fear of God podcast are the profound conversations that it provokes. Um, I would encourage any Christian who's a little hesitant to dip their toe into the horror genre to listen to this podcast because it really does show how much holiness in the horrific there can be and i think that that is so valuable in our everyday lives your conversations get into such depths and such important insights that I would never have by myself because I will not watch the movies that you guys are watching. I remember the first time I saw that original Fear of God logo on more than one lesson. Um, I was excited because I heard Reed was gonna be a part of it and I didn't know who Nathan Rouse was, but as soon as I heard how good how good you were together, I was, I was hooked, and uh, I wish you well, and I wish you so many more episodes into the future. Happy 200th. Uh, and then also, too, just the, the chance to explore some new things that I maybe not have explored before. And so it's allowed me to maybe watch some TV shows or some films that I may haven't been too interested in, but I'm like, hey, let me check that out because it's on the podcast. So uh, thank you guys for doing what you do. Thank you for building a great and fantastic community. And I look forward to what the next 200 episodes have in store. Um, so thank you guys and happy birthday to you both. Bye.
no, but seri- in all seriousness, guys, uh, congrats on the 200 episodes and uh, love you all to death. Uh, love the show. Um, always am impressed and blown away by what y'all are able to uh, bring out of each film, uh, no matter how good or bad it may be. And, you know, it's hard for me to pick singular episodes or moments, um, but I always just love the fact that y'all uh, can alternate between silly and serious uh, within literally seconds, uh, and that makes for a, a great listening experience. Um, so here's to 200, 300 more. Uh, hope y'all uh, have a good 200th episode. Bye. In all sincerity, the work that the two of you do continues to challenge me to assess whether or not I'm really being like Jesus in my daily life and how I can do better as an image bearer of Christ. And I can say that you've definitely had a real impact on me personally. So I appreciate you both. And here is to 200 more. Thank you so much for the work that you put into the show and for your faithfulness in delivering excellent content consistently week after week. And I can't wait until I get to have you guys on my show again. (laughs) Thanks so much. Anyways, much love from British Columbia, Canada. Keep up the great work, and I'm looking forward to the next 200 episodes. Be well. Um, So just thank you for the podcast. Congratulations on 200 episodes. And can't can't wait to see what you guys have going on in the future. Bye. And so thank you, Nathan and Reed, from the Swartz Intruders. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you guys so much for the effort and the work that you put in every week to this podcast. And thank you for welcoming me into the Fog Fam. I am truly honored and I can't wait for 200 more episodes. All the best, guys. Thank you so much, everyone, for sending in your sound bites. Uh, we love hearing the good and kind words you supply on behalf of your experience of the fear of God. Um, as Reed mentioned right before that, we are extremely grateful and not just for you, but for those of you who did supply those as well. Um, now we are going to, speaking of listeners, Reed. Oh man. Um, we're going to share something here, but it's, it's what's your time, right? It's what uh, it's 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 what your time. It's what you're watching, <laughs> what you're reading, what you're listening to. What a wonderful and fun addition to the show. Three years ago, three and a half years ago, Beckley can correct me on when we started <laughs> doing this. But you know, you and I had a heck of a lot of fun for that two year stretch where we sing songed our way into oh, and out of these watches. Absolutely. And who knows, we may get back to that. But this year, possibly, we have been inviting you all. And continue to invite you all to submit your own rendition of the What You're Watching, What You're Reading, What You're Listening To theme song. And we wanted to share one of those with you right now, which we've been sitting on for a little while because it's just that amazing. (laughs) Uh, I want to introduce everyone uh, to the Island family. This is Chase Island, Amanda Island, and their daughter. Uh, Chase and I went to middle and high school together. He has been a father low these four years now. Uh, interacts rather regularly in the group and they are themselves a little a a little musical outfit um i remember chase playing the guitar oh wow 30 years ago 25 years ago yeah so uh ladies and gentlemen this is the island family singing their version of what you're watching what you're reading what you're listening to 
What you watching? What you watching? What you reading? What you reading? What you listening to? That's that is so perfect. <laughs> It's so fantastic. <laughs> oh my I feel gosh, like it's, it's I feel wonderful. like I'm watching a, a a Mighty Wind segment. Uh listening oh, to that. Oh, you the know what? Christopher I love Guest bit. I love that. I love that. So yeah, Nathan, what have what have you been watching, reading and or listening to? Riri. I I knew you were going to talk about this. You I knew you. you I, know, knew I, knew you I knew you knew. I knew you were going to I'm talk wondering it. if I know if I know if you but mm. it's okay if not. I just didn't know because you've been L- quite a mom bit. on this. L- so, bit. Riri, you know, there is a a smorgasbord, a cornucopia, a veritable flood, a deluge, if you will, of media in the world. And one man cannot stand against it all. Like, you cannot <laughs> watch all the things. Right, e- right. Despite the things you're interested in. You know what? I haven't started Bly Manor. Haven't started it. I'm interested. I want to start it. When? Who can do that? You drop okay. you got ten hours of a thing. Like who's got ten hours? Not me right now. But so so you know, a lot a lot just sort of washes right past. You're like, oh, would have been interested in that. Oh, there went that. Can <laughs> someone give me a 30 minute Cobra Kai? You know, anybody help a brother <laughs> out. Um <laughs> I love Cobra that Kai. Said, that said, our um our, our our buddies circulated months ago a trailer for a, a, a TV show that was set to begin. And at the time, I watched the trailer and I was like, that looks, that looks all right. That's pretty good. Um, and then I was listening, as I do, because I'm in my car a lot, to another podcast, mm. Rave, about this, the first episode of this show that had just released that was the same show we had circulated the trailer for. So based on their rave, I was like, you know what? I'm going to check this out. And that night after listening to that podcast, I was like, I I think it was my birthday weekend. I I was like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to have some me time and watch the show. I'm going to set aside all expectation uh, other than that people I like, like it. And that night I watched, let me rephrase this. I began the pilot of the TV show, the Showtime miniseries called the good lord bird starring ethan hawk and good lord reed um (laughs) i i i you you referenced uh children of men Mm. our children of men conversation you made a reference to my when when i commend a thing when i recommend a thing it yes it stands out to you because mm-hmm. more often than not i'm more just like no it's okay it's good check it out no it's okay oh that thing yeah it's good it's good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'll watch it it's good yeah sure you know? yeah fine yeah. it will neither add immensely nor detract much to your life go do it enjoy this one i was like 10 minutes in 10 minutes i had not gotten 10 minutes and my energy was already through the roof <laughs> and started yeah. blowing up your phone saying please please go watch the magician Ethan Hawke in the good Lord bird. So the good Lord bird is based on a book. I have not read the book. Uh, shout outs, uh, fear of God listener and close friend, Stephen uh, Scaregrove, a history teacher and, uh, introduced me to some of Ibram Kendi's work, the anti-racist ideas. And 
he's always referencing some of this stuff. He is reading the book. He referenced to me. He's like, Hey, if you like the show, the book is actually really good, but it's about a pre civil war controversial figure named John Brown. Right. Um, and by controversial, I mean, maybe he's actually a crazy person, <laughs> but in the context of the show, he has played, the show is adapted from that book. Um, he's played by Ethan Hawke, who also produced, may have had a writing hand in some of i don't know how much you've, he definitely anything, you've, he definitely adapted the pilot he's got a screenwriting okay, credit okay. on the pilot yeah um and i was so i don't i don't even know like there's a world where someone could watch that first episode and say what is nathan seeing this I, it's hard for me to articulate other than just the power of his performance um it's about a character who is basically murdering slavers in pre-civil war us mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and it's not that i'm celebrating those actions those that level of extremity but the performance the scripting the the energy the if i can use this word catharsis that kind of comes when you're watching something like this um and some of the in, incredibly beautiful moments i ask this sincerely have you watched it yet it's okay if you haven't i just want you to be able to add if you've i've watched the pilot i'm not caught it. up but i've watched okay. the pilot yeah, yeah 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 and there's just two at this point um well you, you tell me did you have any level of similar affection for that pilot or am i crazy am i a john brown in this moment no 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 so so you're not crazy at all i think it's really easy so in transparency i did not have the head flying off my body like exultant <laughs> rapturous experience that's, that you did that's pretty accurate <laughs> um i can find absolutely nothing but praise to say about the show ethan hawk's performance the rhythm the general the general tone um the 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 energy around the show uh there's just all of the performances are very strong and again i've only seen the pilot but sure. uh the the premise all of the performances are very strong um and of course it does hinge pretty significantly on Ethan Hawke delivering which if you've listened yeah. to this show for very long you know we're big fans of his and i think just he makes some fascinating choices as an actor and he is uh just a sizable uh, titanic performer and uh and uh, yeah i mean again while i might not have walked away with the my head's on backwards now experience you know <laughs> I, I definitely love it i'm i'm bought in i will stay caught up with it uh, i just have to watch the second episode well, it's, it's funny so, you say you describe it that way and uh, i mean if you're listening to this segment right now we're talking about the show so just know a little bit of spoiler here hawk isn't in the ep- second episode as much as he is the first one. Oh, and you okay. do feel it. You do oh, feel it. Oh, interesting. Like, okay. It's uh, not in a bad way, just in a like, huh, okay, it's clear his energy barrels this forward. Yes. It, it's like it's like you're holding on to sled dogs and he's the biggest one of the pack and he's just <laughs> like, oh my God. You know, go. So that then when he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. when he's missing, you're like, what? why aren't we moving? What's happening? <laughs> uh, now he is in the second one, but not for a decent chunk of it. And so the energy yeah, is a gotcha. little lower. That said, I'm still, I mean, the flavor of it, the there it's, it's wildly funny. Did I think in the first episode is Keith David make the appearance yes. in the first episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. hysterical. Yeah, that scene oh, is it's hysterical. So funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, right, right, right. It had a very though less nihilistic Tarantino energy about it. Oh, sure, right. Um, of course, of course. You know, so so yes, I, I think if nothing else, my hearty recommend to check out the pilot. You may 
walk away from it thinking Nathan is crazy, but <laughs> uh, it 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 profoundly sort of just uh, moved is the wrong word, but just seeing the performance mixed in with the the content and the ideas, I was just really impressed with it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I did a little bit of. Um, I just was, was interested after the pilot and I just looked up the character of John Brown, who I didn't know yeah. very much about, stumbled across a pretty interesting quote by none other than Malcolm X, who, uh, I forget in the context of the quote, what part of the organization he was talking about, but he was talking about like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a grouping of people of color coming together to sort of, you know, activate their own destiny and, yeah. and take ownership. And I remember him said, Malcolm X, according to this quote, had said, uh, no white people will be admitted, though if John Brown were still alive, we might admit him. And, wow. And so I just wow. I just thought that was really uh, fascinating. And it, it leaves me sort of curious as to where the rest of the show goes. You know, the, yeah. it tilts towards how things are going to ultimately end in literally the yeah. first two minutes of the of the first episode. Um, but uh, but I am very curious to see how everything plays out. Yeah. And thanks for the recommendation. It was, it's it's really strong. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really, really good. Um, OK, so what I, about you, Riri? Something equally profound. And so for the sake of not <laughs> um, uh, pivoting or or. or stilting yeah. your existence too much we have started blind manner stilting my existence experience is what that's i meant intense. to say, Did I say that's, stilting that's wild your existence? i'm like man like, what's about is, to happen to me this is big. From no, whatever this is you're big. about to say i started to say uh, stilting <laughs> i started to say stilting your experience and evidently okay. i'm having existential yeah. thoughts like, i mean you know, you, thanks to john Brown. you by your very person have kind of stilted my existence <laughs> or tilted my existence a particular path I've tipped the stilted scales feels a little like a negative connotation. No, no, well, no. Well, I am okay. How many have you watched? Uh, I, I we just finished the sixth episode. Okay, so listeners, we just talked about Good Lord Bird. Uh, Reed's about to talk about Bly Manor. I wasn't going to say so much. I'm not asking you to spoil content for me okay. necessarily, if there is content to spoil. But I am curious. What What are your general? Don't Don't hold back on your sort of feelings. I am interested. Um. Depending on how things resolve, it'll be difficult to know exactly what my overall assessment of it is. Sure. Tonally speaking, it is pretty on par. You know, just the tone and feel right. of Hill House is still there. It is not nearly as scary. Doesn't even feel like it's really trying to be. It is a proper mm-hmm. ghost story, and there are definitely frightful things that take place. But I can remember every episode of Hill House having a couple of moments where you're yeah. like, oh my goodness, and and that's just not the the aim of this show. Um, it's much more reflective and introspective. Uh, there's a, all the the uh, expected monologues from characters for sure. six minutes yeah, at a time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but I will say it's it's like, it, it, it feels a bit slower paced, and in ways that I'm hoping will be resolved by watching the last three episodes there, it, it feels like it's deliberately trying to be a bit more obtuse in its, in its narrative and in its mystery. Again, that may all resolve. Meaning as in what's actually happening. Yes. In the yes. Story? Okay. It, feel, yeah, yeah. it feels like they're leaning so hard into the mystery that, and this is not the case with every single plot line, but it feels like mm-hmm. they're leaning so hard into the mystery that there's a couple of plot lines, which I'm like, was it? Uh, literally there was one episode we watched i won't say which one but there was one episode we watched where literally when it was over my wife and i had to sit there for probably 15 minutes going so is this what we just saw 
this this was what we just saw was it did you take this away from it or was it that or was it whatever why am so, i being asked to watch why this? am i being asked to watch this so um so so yeah so just you know uh d- don't be expecting hill house we all kind of knew that um but that having been said uh i'm it's it's well acted it's well performed it's well scripted uh i am very curious to see how things are going to tie together in the final three episodes um because it's only nine this time around it's not ten um so yeah we'll we'll see but i mean we yeah we're we're watching it we're enjoying it uh i would give it from this point on i would give it a soft recommendation particularly if you enjoyed hill house just don't be expecting you know, Hill House 2, you know, like it's it's just a very different kind of aim that it's going for. Um, but what I mm. was going to mention in addition to that uh, is not quite a watch and read and listen to. And I actually, you know what? I think I'm going to, no, I'm going to bring it out for this one because I was like, do I save this for the Halloween thing or do I bring it out on 200? I'm going to bring it out on 200. So um, I did a thing that I've never done. I've, I've always heard about like, um, advent calendars, and I've always been curious about right. them because I, I, you know, I like the thought like, of oh, like each day you in general. Well, yeah, in... just I've never done one. I've never done an advent calendar for any holiday season or anything. How did you grow up in the church as entrenched as you did, and you guys never did the advent calendars? Yeah. No, we. I mean, okay. No, it just we just. I mean, that's did. not judgment passing. It's just no, it's boggling. Just, yeah, just uh, never, never crossed our our path uh, in any sort of deliberate fashion. Huh. So, um, so anyway. Uh, I saw that, uh, and I'm not really super into Funko Pops, but there are a few that we've collected. Uh, we've got sure. all of the lost figures. I've got David Pumpkins. I've got a Mr. Uh, Rogers one, and there's there's a few others that are really delightful that that I love quite a bit. So you're kind of into. I'm, well, I'm kind of into them. I'm not to the degree of like. <laughs> I know. So so it's just I'm not. You're not a collector. Right, you're right, a collector right. of properties. Exactly. Not of pops. Yes, it yes, is. I can get on where board where it intersects with the specific thing that I love, but. Sure. Uh, uh, YouTube watchers will uh, see this better than listeners will, but I got the 13-day spooky countdown, which is an advent nice. calendar of 13 mini Funkos uh, with uh, like monstrous little figures in it. And that's what I've been doing this ho- holiday season. I didn't start at like 13 days prior to Halloween. Right. I didn't. I, I wanted to kind of spread it out. So what I did was starting at the top of the month, every couple of days, I've opened one. So I just sort of spread it out uh, that way. And I've got some fun little delightful, like look at look at cute little Freddy Krueger. Look at little right Freddy. Little He's Freddy so cute. And then I was really happy. Uh, you'll get kudos if you can guess who this is. I mean, that's Reagan. Right? It's Reagan from The Exorcist. That's right. And then come this on, is, come on. This, this is, is the me. one that, this is the one that freaks my son out all the time. Yeah, that guy's, you'll float too. The, the Pennywise right there. We've also Tell got... Him just, we'll just show him the second film. It won't freak him out anymore. No, right, 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 right. And then, So I won't show every single one that I've received, but, the, but they're fun. There you go. They're really cool. All work yeah. and no play. That's Thanks exactly Jack right. Boy. So, um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're... We've... we've delight. We recently had a little Funko addition to the family. And yeah. By family, I mean the Rose family. Oh, that's I right. I surprised my wife with the... The Rose Quartet. That's really Funko nice. Pops, not including the Chase David. Uh, there's a there's a super rare oh. David one of him in his kind of rooster suit from the farm. <laughs> yeah, that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Well, uh, very cool. You feel good about your? That's awesome. No, your whatcha offering? That's that's it. That's good. So that's that's what I you. feel. That's what you insecure about hyping a thing that you didn't like oh i'm just kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding i know i know i know know it's it's like if my head doesn't pop off my body you think i don't like it i knew (laughs) i told you i was like i've done this and speaking of doing this 
What you watching? What you reading? What you listening to? That's amazing. That's so fantastic. Thank that you to the Island fantastic. family. It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. So, um, it is time for Book Club. Book Club. All right. So, uh, the book largest club. section of the book is, is, is here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, uh, for this episode, we asked you to prepare and read all of part two. Something Wicked This Way Comes is not a terribly lengthy book in general, but this is the longest single section that we asked you to prepare for, and we are now going to discuss all of part two, which is entitled uh, Pursuits. And old Ray messes with the rhythm. I got used to some short chapters, and all of a sudden, there's like a few lengthy oh, ones. Like, oh my that's gosh, right, 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 which right, right. Is fine, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> because still, like, lengthy, wait, this one's well, more than three pages. <laughs> I know, because because lengthy for him is still like probably seven or eight pages. You know, like it's yeah, still, yeah, it's yeah. still not massive. But um, okay, so uh, I want to yield uh, it, just as we sort of come up to them to any notes you might have. But I did mention, I did want to mention because last time we had posed the question and i couldn't recall from the text of whether or not uh the miss foley and the robert, robert nephew, the nephew yeah oh i caught that yeah so so it pretty definitively answers that she's kind of bewitched so it's not that as in she does not have a robert no the nephew. no and so right. yeah that she's just and 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 she catches herself by asking because uh, she refers to him as the nephew, not my nephew, and that catches her, and she's like, "Why did I say the nephew, not my nephew?" Um, and so I just thought that was, I just thought that was interesting. Um, what, uh, what in the like? I guess I'm just would would want to ask because obviously this is a long section. There's quite a bit to talk about and get to. Uh, do you have any sort of sequential notes that you want to get through? Because I can just. I sort of wrote down things as I made my way through the book, so mine by yeah. proxy are are kind of in order. Uh, yeah. So so what's your what's Similarly your similarly here? Um, I did write basically all of chapter twenty eight. You know, I don't totally know what I mean by this right now, but so can I talk? Okay, so you your note says all of chapter twenty eight, right? right? Yes. Okay, so yeah. um, here's what here's what I wrote down. Um. But before we get before we get to what's that, happening here, yeah. Uh, what? So Go. yeah, let me set up a little bit. What so um, to keep, catch us up with the plot, Will and Jim, uh, you know, like argue about the carnival. It's more clear than ever that Jim's at least partially under the carnival's spell. They walk back by Miss Foley's house, and Miss Foley is there talking with Charles Halloway about what the boys have done. So we we don't see this scene but we find out that at that point will confessed to the burglary that they had been framed for even though they didn't commit mm-hmm. it he they just will confess to it in order to just end the thing and then his dad walks them both home so there is one thing that i wrote down so the dad walks him home and chapter 28 is the conversation that he and Will have mm, mm, when mm. they arrive back home. But uh, an absolutely stunning passage occurs after Charles has walked the boys home and discovered uh, he's discovered their respective ladders out their window that they climb up mm-hmm. and down. And Jim sneaks back into his while Charles and Will talk. And Charles knows that Will confessed to something he didn't really do. And Will says this, and this is a passage I wrote down, and then we'll get to chapter 28. Will says... I figured if we made a clean breast, they'd go easy. They did. At the same time, boy, Miss Foley's won, too, because now we're criminals. Nobody will believe what we say. And then Charles simply says back to him, I'll believe. And mm-hmm. I just think that's 
it's so lovely and wonderful and and um, it, and and it seems as if Will's just going to open up and tell him everything, you know. And then, as he sort of begins, what I wrote down, and then I'm going to pivot over and let you share your thoughts sure. on chapter 28. So I wrote down chapter 28 is, and it is, is my very favorite chapter in this whole book. Um, when I think about the book, and it and encapsulates so much about what I love about the book, it's all contained. In chapter 28, what Will and Charles share on that porch talking about goodness and being good and life and death and what's missed and what's found, it's its so achingly lovely. And for me, it's the central hinge on which my affection for the book hangs. Um, I, I know this is a bold statement, but to me, some of those... Some of those paragraphs are like inches shy of scripture, and I'm not. I'm not joking. Like they are. They are oh. so beautiful. They're You're so not powerful. Me. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, I could read those four pages every morning as kind of a devotional. I'd probably be a better man for it. Um, the one passage that I did write down because I, I I don't know if we've got time to just read the whole chapter. Um, I wrote down uh what the paragraph set them up before. It says it was a time to say much, but not all. It was a time after first discoveries, but not last ones. It was wanting to know everything and wanting to know nothing. It was the new sweetness of men starting to talk as they must talk. It was the possible bitterness of revelation. Um, and then I want to, I've talked a lot, so I want to yield to you, but I do have a section on 134 that I would read if you choose not to read it. 134? But are you, but you're, you've got a different edition than I I've do. I've got a so. different edition. The page numbers might right, be right. slightly different. But. <clears throat> but that's still in 28. Yes. Yeah, it is. Um, no, in general, I just, I found this whole, as, as we're stating it currently, to reiterate that, I just found this whole uh, chapter quite moving and a bit of an echo of those poetic first flourishes in the text, but in this case, it's actual character dynamics working themselves out, right. which is just really lovely. Um, did you just share the, uh, am I a good person? No, that's Se- a, no, segment? that's th- that whole section. Oh my gosh. Read whatever you want to read of it. Cause sure. I just, well, I, I, I love you know, it I'm so just much. kind of skimming over this chapter and finding all the things that are meaningful and, and, and will, uh, dad, am I a good person? I think so. I know so. Yes, he says. Dad says. The son, will that help when things get really rough? It'll help. Will it save me if I need saving? I mean, if I'm around bad people and there's no one else good around for miles, what then? It'll help. That's not good enough, Dad. Good is no guarantee for your body. It's mainly for peace of mind. Mm. And then, so. And then, what? Go ahead. No, I was just. Uh, I don't know if you were going to read more of that section. I was going to skip down a little bit further uh, to, you know, say some of what he said, but keep going Do it. with what you're doing. No, so, like, they have this whole sort of uh, summary, and then he says, uh, or they, they go back and forth, and eventually Will asks, Dad, are you a good person? Yes. Yeah, that's powerful. And uh, and he says, to you and your mother, yes, I try, but no man's a hero to himself. I've lived with me a lifetime, Will. I know everything worth knowing about myself. Will says, and adding it all up? And Dad says, the sum, as they come and go, and I mostly sit very still and tight, yes, I'm all right. And then he asks this thing that, God, if ever it all hangs on it, Will says, then, Dad, why aren't you happy? And we don't really have time, much as I would love to, to just go <laughs> Much through. like Dad says, uh, one thirty in the morning read is no place to start a <laughs> philosophical. <laughs> 
Well, oh but but gosh. I do love that. I know you're about to defer from there, but you know, I I think I think to me one of the most potent sections there is no man's a hero to himself. Mm-hmm. I've lived with me a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And just like there's so much you could kind of extrapolate from that no man's a hero to himself. Oh. Um you know, I'm, I get torn on stuff like that these days, though. I mean, I, I love it. I love the melancholic poetry of it. Right, of course. Uh, but of I get course. torn about that idea. Um, but I do, if you scoot ahead about sure. two, two pages there, um, Will says to him, Pa, don't sound so sad. Mm. Dad, me, I'm the original sad man. I read a book and it makes me sad. See a film, sad. Plays, they really work me over. Is there anything doesn't make you sad? One thing, he says, death. Boy, I should think that would. No, said Dad. Death makes everything else sad, but death itself only scares. If there wasn't death, all the other things wouldn't get tainted. Anyway, mm. I just really love that. Yeah, it's that it's run. it's really beautiful. And there's two pages there in between the section we read. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll summarize it though. I feel I'll do so poorly because it, it, you really like, if you're not reading this book, like you should check out from the library just to read in my edition, it's pages 135 and 136, but just that whole segment in chapter 28, where he talks about how the people walking around with the brightest smiles are often carrying the load of sin. And the, and it's mm-hmm. the people who are, who are burdened and have their head down. They're, they're the ones who are carrying goodness. And it's just, it's. It's really, like you said, it's melancholic. It's it's bitter. It's uh, not bitter as in like this like sure, cynical yeah. version, but there's just a, there's a pang to it. Uh, but it is so profoundly lovely at the same time. And uh, and I just I just love his whole reflection and talking about you know he is wrestling with himself and with and with whether or not he is a good person and is he happy and and all of these kinds of things. And it's just uh, it, yeah, chapter twenty eight is again. I debated and even wrote down. I was like, if depending on time, I might read this whole chapter. I don't want to, you know, make the listeners <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. come to that. But, um, but it's just, what? Uh, I do <laughs> no, now. That said, my favorite chapter is thirty-one, and we could read that whole thing. Oh my gosh, thirty-one is so fantastic. That's the one that you were texting me about, right? That's no. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I wrote down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. No, sorry. I, I was still on the train of like poetry, but no, like right. cha- chapter thirty-one is the best. It's like it's like you're binging thirty-minute episodes of Cobra Kai, and then you find out yeah. like episode six is like two minutes long. Yeah, <laughs> chapter thirty-one literally says nothing much else happened all the rest of that night. That's end it. That's the end of the chapter. That's the end of the chapter. <laughs> I was like, it's so thank fantastic. you, Ray. That was just for me. Uh, oh my gosh. 32 is rough with Miss Foley, the child, the Miss Foley child. That was really. That is pretty rough. Um, heavy so, and sad. What? So we, we, we skipped over it just to keep pace with plot. We're not going to detail much about it, sure. but uh, there are a couple of chapters in there where the witch, the dust witch, hunts the yes. boys. And that that's good. very frightening. It's really uh, kind of harrowing. And uh, they managed to. Uh, dispel her with their, you know, sort of creative thinking, but uh, but it's it's clear that the carnival is hunting for these two boys, and just you know f- because we'll reference back to it in a couple of places later. I just didn't want to skip over. Did you catch? Well, no. If you don't mention this in something wordy, this way comes. I will, so I'll save it for that. Um, mm. But uh, so yeah, the Miss Foley, she's a young child and she's blind, and the. It's a really I didn't catch that really yeah she's blind she can't see okay. so um 
So she can't see, and she's been made young, so she is literally like trapped in a younger frame, and she can't move around. So that's why when the boys like reach out to touch her, she like grabs a hold of them mm-hmm. really quick. Mm-hmm. It's because she can't she can't make her way around anymore, and so it's it's really quite dreadful. Well, I do love um, you know we we are deep into plot at this point and you know it's no longer just the convention of oh this magic carousel or this bewitched right, or this right. wicked carousel can move people forward or backward in time i by love i mean it's it's loathsome but when they by they i mean he when bradbury details out so for instance my page 148 but it's um this passage where will is describing to jim theorizing about her experience and says oh jim i bet she's pounded a dozen doors this morning wanting help scared people with her screaming and yelling then run off gave up and hid under that tree police probably looking for her now but so what it's just a wild girl crying and they'll lock her away and she'll go crazy i actually underlined this sentence that carnival boy did they know how to punish you so you can't hit back Mm. they just shake you up and change you so no one ever knows you again and let you run free it's okay go ahead talk because folks are too scared of you to listen only we here jim only you and me anyway point being just how they cast this vision of the implications of what this means right you know it's not just oh no this terrible freakish thing has happened it's this is why this is super awful you know it's like absolutely you are lost your identity is no longer your own um yeah no, absolutely. Anyway, um, so the, the I, I would love to, I yeah, would love ahead. to throw out. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Uh, no, I would love fine. to throw out. I think it's chapters both 34 and 35. Here's the thing for me personally. I I would underline some stuff as I went, but also just made kind of summary. Like here's what happens in this chapter, partly from my right, own memory. Right, right, right. But I love the the parade, kids and the great dad confrontation with the illustrated oh. man sequence. Oh, absolutely! That was fantastic. Like, no, so. Yeah, so here's what here's what my note was on specifically. I said uh, if if you're looking for that one great chapter where plot and theme and poetry all intersect, chapter thirty five yes. might be it. Um, because of the tall stuff and the small stuff. Oh yeah, my yeah, yeah. gosh, yeah. Because so what is happening is the boys after the confrontation with the witch that we just briefly mentioned, they realize the carnival is hunting them. So Mr. Dark, the illustrated man, uh, Mr. Cougar, uh, whether he is Mr. Cougar or Robert, the nephew or whatever, like the, the, the carnival is after them. And so they realize that. So they hide in a sewer drain as the carnival passes by on the main street and, and, you know, little figures come by and like almost catch them, but then don't quite and then pass by. Um, and then, uh, finally Will's dad barely even knowing why he's out there or what he's trying to find. He catches their attention because Will has called him and said, we're going to be hiding, but he didn't tell him where they're going to be or anything like that. Yeah. So, so then when he catches their attention, what's so fantastic, like this is just a fantastically crafted moment of suspense because he catches their attention for just long enough to get like seeds of what's happening, but not to have yeah, like the full yeah. explanation, just right. little seeds. And, and so they have barely a few seconds to explain before Mr. Dark, the illustrated man comes and confronts Charles. And he says, he's looking for the boys to give them free rides on the carnival. And he's got mm-hmm. their faces 
on his hands. And what's so amazing to me, like one of the reasons why Charles Halloway is one of my favorite characters in all of literature is he catches on to what's happening and he successfully like evades Mr. Mm -hmm. Dark's little uh, machinations and he puts Mr. Dark off guard because Mr. Dark's not used to, especially like relatively feeble old men sort of putting him back on his heels. He's not accustomed to that. So then, um, and I also love, I don't know if you caught this specifically, but like Mr. Dark calls the witch over to try to like sniff for the boys. And when she comes over there, he blows cigar smoke. Mr. Charles blows cigar smoke to like dispel her so she can't, uh, get at them. But, uh, but I did write down, this is what, this is what you were, uh, alluding to. So after that whole confrontation is done and, um, there's a section there before the confrontation happens when, Will's dad walks by, and Will and Jim are in the grate, and they start to call out for them. Jim starts to call out for him, but Will stops him. Will pauses because he says, no, 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 we're we're looking for like, a, you know, dad just seemed so small, just like another boy. And he said, we need a general, you know, like we need a champion. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he almost doesn't call out for him. Eventually, they do catch each other's attention. But this is what I wrote down. After it's done, and Charles has caused the the carnival freaks to go away then it says and will below gazing up eyes wet mouth wide thought oh my gosh why didn't i see it before i'm getting a little choked up he said dad's tall dad's very tall indeed and i just Hmm. it just chokes me up so much you know just because and i will say this i have mentioned this before about this book we watch a lot of horror and specifically a lot of horror from like the 80s. It was a cliche for, and again, this was published in the 60s, but it was a cliche for the kids or the young ones or the rambunctious teens or whoever to catch wind of what's happening, run to tell fill-in-the-blank authority figure, a parent, a sheriff, a whoever, and then, of course, like, you know what? I'm going to lock you up because you're disturbing my peace, you know, or whatever, or or get out of here. You're always causing trouble or whatever, and for them to dismiss them. Something Wicked This Way comes. I'm sure there are others like this, but Something Wicked This Way comes is the main story that I think of where the children present and reach out to the authority figure for some help, and he's instantly in on the fight. Like, he's just... He, yeah. he immediately takes hold of the mantle. He's protective. He's, we'll get to another passage a little bit later that I wrote down, but like he's in, he's, he's going to help. And I just find that. So I don't know what it is that touches my heart about that, but there is maybe not to get well, too, too deep, too quick, but maybe it's a bit of a longing. Maybe it's a bit of a, you know, like, don't we long for that to be the case for us to say this unbelievable thing and to have somebody in authority look back and say, I believe you. I believe you, you know? Well, I think one of the reasons, um, and I'm about to dance across some thematic ideas. Sure. Starting where you're at and scattered over the next chapter or two, but I will point you to the very end of chapter 38. Um, chapter 38 is when Will and Jim tell him about all of their experiences. Right. This is in the library. I think. Yeah. Yeah, They meet Um, at the library after the whole sewer grate incident. Yeah. Yeah, and and in uh, at some point, similarly as what you referenced earlier, I've got that it's on page one seventy five. Okay, there it is. Um, they tell him all the story, and for a long moment, Will's father sat staring, blinding into the center of the table. Then his lips moved. Jim, Will, I believe mm. the boys sank in their chairs. All of it, all. 
Will wiped his eyes. Boy, I'm going to start bawling. Now, what that my main thing I want to reference though is at the end of uh, that chapter, literally the you know like four lines from the bottom. If you've got that handy at home in here or at your desks, get out your textbook. Um, w- uh, uh, Charles says to them, "Why am I here at all?" Oh, After can a, I stop a you? Of, a bit of a yeah. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I'm going to let you read the last couple of lines. I wrote a couple of I, I notated a couple of things before those last couple of lines. So well, I'm going to do read, it. Uh, yeah, because I, I just wanted to introduce a thematic idea that I think you're that was yes. going to partner with what you were saying. Yeah, exactly. So I'll just read the build up to that. It says because he's this is Charles speaking, and he says of himself, he says Charles William Holloway, nothing extraordinary about me except I'm 54, which is always extraordinary to the man inside it. Born in Sweetwater, lived in Chicago, survived in New York, brooded in Detroit, floundered in a lot of places, arrived here late, skipping a few sentences, then in the middle of all the running away, which I called travel, in my 39th year, your mother fixed me with one glance, been here ever since. And then a little bit later, he says, is this my last stop? Chances are. And then you pick up from there. He says, why am I here at all right now? It seems to help you. Uh, Yes. Very late in the game to help you. Oh my gosh. And there's so so what I want to bring in here and and will sort of be my uh to borrow an image from the book, my flight balloon out into the thematic over the thematic waters for later is um this thing that keeps coming up to me in some of these works like it that we've covered in 4 years but initially referenced on it chapter 1's conversation of how we burden our children to save us. And one of the reasons I love the role of Charles so much and, and, and kind of want to emulate in many ways, Mm -hmm. his spirit is it is a partnering. It is a joining. It is as if I can lean into it in 39 and 40, uh, it is the common cause Mm -hmm. that he enjoins himself to. It is not, uh, authority and submissive. It is not even certain on a certain level, parent and child, though it is that, and that matters to the dynamic. It's more partnering in the, the mission at hand, the, the need at hand. Um, and I think to me, that's just lovely. And, and, and in many ways, our, uh, the, the appropriate expression of how we are meant to conduct ourselves in relationship to those who are younger than us generally and to our children specifically. No, absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. You saying, and we'll, you know, next week's episode is entirely about the book, the last section of the book and uh, its thematics. So, so, you know, there'll be more substantive conversation uh, unpacking that further, but you said something just in passing and God, it's like, it's simultaneously convicting and inspiring to read about Charles Holloway and I'm like, God, can I be that man when I'm 54? Like, can, can, can that be the spirit that I carry with me where I'm like, that is, that is how I want to be in the world. You know, thoughtful. As your friend, the good news I can share with you is the answer to that is yes. And it doesn't have to be at 54, my friend. No, that's absolutely um, right. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, no, no, and no, no, encouraging no. you kind of cut you off there, but, um, there's just a whole lot to kind of, a lot of ground to cover here. I do want to, I just referenced this, but I'm looking at, uh, this is in chapter 39. Mm. Um, there's a bunch in here. Um, 
what is the is this him oh he's still talking to will maybe just the two of them no it's all yeah, three of them still okay this is this is, is the latter the part of, of the library yeah right 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 so this is before they separate in the library okay mm-hmm. um they're 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 musing on how will specifically is musing he says i never knew you could talk <laughs> and charles says you should hear me here late nights nothing but talk yes you should have heard i should have said more to you any day you name in the past hell where was i leading up to love i think which is just a beautiful phrase um then this is more internal monologue on his part what could he say that might make sense to them could he say love was above all common cause shared experience that was the vital cement wasn't it i mean you can kind of just end the thematic conversation there yeah <laughs> you know and just give me yeah, plot right. for the rest of the book it's like right right, right you know right. above all to define it this way love is common cause and shared experience and i just mm-hmm. think that's a, a a magical truth with a capital t kind of statement absolutely oh absolutely. you know you referenced scripture a minute ago i mean to me that's the spirit of scripture <laughs> no no absolutely absolutely um so so we are left after those absolutely beautiful passages i'll just mention a couple of things plot wise uh and then that's and then that that'll kind of wrap us up unless you've got something more before something wordy this way comes um so i did want to mention because i think the uh, in chapter 37 it's, it's only a hit-and-run thing. Uh, we actually get the line where Charles remembers the Shakespearean quote, by the pricking of my thumbs, mm, yeah, something yeah, yeah. wicked this way comes. But what I love is after it, he's reflecting on that passage, and I love the power of it. it just says, so vague, yet so immense. And, and mm. I, you know, that that is the feeling we get of this, like, sort of ominous evil. You know, something wicked this way comes. So vague, yet so immense. It's it's in, yeah. indefinable and yet overwhelming. Um so then what happens in one of the, the like this section has some of the fright passages in it. So like the, the ostensibly this is though poetics bring it a little out of the pure raw terror. This is a horror book. It's it's a it's a fear book. It's a monster book. And uh after these two idyllic very inspiring reflective chapters where Charles is waxing poetic to his son and his son's friend. Um, then somebody comes into the library and I don't know about you, but like as many times as I've read this story, that moment still just gives me chills where like the, the, they enter, uh, Mr. Dark enters the library and Charles yeah. just looks over and whispers to the boys hide. And then like, yeah. he just sits and waits and it's just, Ooh, it's really, <laughs> I'm Ooh. so excited for our conversation next week. <laughs> oh man, it's going to be so great. Um, so, so then basically, and you know, I'm, I'm going to just skim through a couple of plot details sure. here for the sake of, you know, people trying to keep pace without actually reading the book, which please God read this book. Um, but Mr. Dark confronts Charles, tempts him with, you know, making him younger. Uh, Charles, uh, I, I, man, when he, he sees the Bible, Mr. Dark sees the Bible and he says, I've, and I've had, he says, I've had passages read at me. I'm just like, oh man, that's, yeah, that's a conversation starter right there. We won't have it now. But, and then he like takes the Bible and throws it in the garbage, which if there's anything that could cement his ominous, overwhelming you know, power uh, as a visual metaphor. It's it's the idea of oh no, your 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 totem, your text of scripture here is right, no threat right. to me, and he just throws it in the garbage. Um, he w- Charles tries to start a fight with him to stop him from capturing the boys, and has his hands uh, has his hand just smashed and crushed, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which is absolutely dreadful. Um, but then 
after Mr. Dark captures the boys. And I don't know if you got this. Again, I've read this book probably three or four times. And when he's turning the boys into wax, that whole description. Yeah, well, that's, is that the witch sewing them shut? Yeah. Because I wrote that Ooh. as the scare. Yeah, that I, I put that. Terrifying. In, you know, it's hard to organize a book around our typical sort of touch points. But yeah, I mean, I wrote the witch sewing them shut would be a, a scare most definitively. Oh, absolutely. And, it's, it's and partly because it's a little kind of confusing what's going on exactly. You just, right. it is otherworldly and malevolent. And that's mm-hmm. kind of enough <laughs> yeah, to be oh, like, oh, this is yeah. freaky and I don't totally get it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> right. Because even then, not to jump ahead next week, even then, the sort of quote unquote, I'm using this word, invisibility of them once they're back at the carnival was also a little another layer of like, what is I can't totally right. tell what's happened with them. So. So, yeah, again, some of this is for next section. But basically what's happened is he has turned them into wax figures. So the description you get of the witch like sewing them up is their experience of their senses shutting off as they are basically encased in a kind of wax. And then that allows Mr. Dark to, in a way, puppeteer them, which is why Uh, later. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, yeah, just super ominous. Yeah. All I meant was it was just hard to tell literally what is happening to them. The figurative nature, the, the ominous nature, his manipulation of them, all that was very clear. It was just more gotcha. like, yeah, yeah. if I were watching this right now, I don't know what I'm trying to conjure visually. What I'm seeing. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, so before we leave it, just for the sake of, you know, the final confrontation with, between Witch and Charles, did you remember in the book whether or not Charles survives? Did you did you remember at this point no, reading it? No, no, no. I mean, in truth, I, I having now finished the text remember nothing other than just two boys carnival carnival kind of thing like like i I didn't know the plot i couldn't recall the plot at all gotcha so um obviously the witch is trying to stop charles's heart which is what mr dark threatened him with right and um did you I, i i'm asking a question about your experience as you were reading that did you have a feeling that charles would survive did you have a feeling that charles would die right here and that this would be where things would go uh, I, I don't know. I think I was reading it a little more of just learning than of mm, feeling, mm. you know, the, the poetic passages contribute to the feeling, but it was more just like, huh, I wonder if he's going to die. That feels a little, uh, uh, aggressive for right, sure. what right, right, feels right. like the heart of the text, but who knows, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. I knew what was happening, um, but didn't know what the result would be now. Correct me right. if I'm wrong to kind of tie off that scene. Am I to understand correctly? He, he laughs her out of the library. Like, like it is the, yeah. it is the noise, the sound, not noise as in cacophonous, but sound as in ebullience, uh, mm-hmm. pouring forth joy. Like that sound coming from him is what causes her to flee. Yes. He chuckles okay. almost reactionarily like he just he just yeah. sort of a chuckle just sort of comes out but he registers cognitively that it pauses her so yes. she's working her magic her witchcraft and then 
when he chuckles, he notices that it gives her pause. And so when he notices that, then he becomes much more deliberate about it and lets the laughter pour forth, which she can't tolerate. Her her kind right. can't tolerate. <laughs> that so. happens to me sometimes when I'm going nuts and people are like, oh, that guy is too much. <laughs> I'm going to leave now. <laughs> we have some college peers who can vouch for that statement. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's um, funny. So, um, okay, so you want to uh, close us off with uh, something wordy this way comes if you have any why yes my friend Reed it is time once more for oh boy. something wordy this way comes today are three words from part two of Ray Bradbury's something wicked this way comes uh, I'm going to attempt to pronounce this bear with me it's Scraffito. Scraffito. I saw this word, friend, and I was like, what in the world is Scraffito? I see graffiti in there, or graffito. I had never heard of Scraffito. Uh, but it is a technique of ornamentation which a surface layer of paint plaster slip is incised to reveal a ground of contrasting color. So basically just some sort of artistic exercise so that is <laughs> ladies and gentlemen scraffito our next word on the something wordy this way comes for part two of ray bradbury's classic novel is recumbent recumbent mm. now recumbent has an adjective form and a noun form its adjective form is lying down reclining slash leaning much like the old um uh, whose line is it anyway? Sit, stand, and lean improv game. Oh, what a fun, <laughs> fun and entertainment that is, chap. Uh, its noun form is, oh, just a recumbent person, animal or plant. So if you're lying down, you are a recumbent person. So that is the second word on something wordy this way comes from past part two of Bradbury's book. The last word read oh, is boy. vellum. <laughs> vellum v-e-l-l-u-m i stumbled on this word and i thought well what is that <laughs> vellum <laughs> is a noun it, it was also an adjective form but we'll ignore that one for now for time's sake uh, a noun a calf skin lamb skin or kid skin, which I assume is referring to the goat variety, the not goat the for child the sort, <laughs> uh, treated for use as a writing surface or a manuscript or the like, a texture of paper or cloth resembling vellum. So I imagine this word appeared when our characters were hided out in the library. So vellum yes. has a literary connotation, a printing connotation. So that, read has been this week's segment of something wordy this way comes and what a wonderful segment this has grown into this is so wonderful i will say that on page 155 i wrote down uh Tell the me, friend the the far less um high-minded uh but still terribly delightful exclamation crime and netly crime <laughs> trigger put that pea shooter down <laughs> Well, yes, oh I was looking for words I was unfamiliar with. That one I stumbled True. on and I thought about writing down, old boy. Oh, and I was like, but yeah. I can reference that one from the Disney Robin Hood movie from. That's true. That's true. The early 80s? Something like that. Uh, something like that, I think. Something I think like really that. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Now back with you. <laughs> <laughs> so, 200th episode. 200. We needed something 
That was that was something wicked this way comes. Let me formally close off the segment. That was book club. That was something wicked this way comes. Next week, we'll have a full conversation about that book, including the last section of it called Departures. Um, so the last section of it, uh, acquaint yourself with that or read the whole book if you haven't yet, and then we will have a full conversation about the thematics and the joys and everything that is uh, to come in something wicked this way comes. Um, but now for our 200th episode, we needed something supremely iconic in horror and faith culture and ladies and gentlemen we present to you a conversation between nathan and reed frank and nathan and dr Reedenstein on (laughs) it's the great pumpkin charlie brown can i can i tell a funny story here please so i i have an affection for the peanuts crew but not an encyclopedic like i Although actually I've pondered over the years, those really lovely editions, you know, those collected oh, editions right, right, they've right. made, yeah. um, but I don't own any of those. Um, but my main inroad read to the Peanuts gang is in high school when I was in a production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Who did you play? I played your favorite fictional canine. Snoopy. You played Snoopy? I played oh Snoopy. And while as amusing as that may be, the truly enjoyable aspect of this story is that if you are a, a theater nerd at all, you might know that You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown is a musical. And despite how far I've come at 41 with my impressive musical stylings <laughs> when I sing, <laughs> which isn't the case, uh, <laughs> My my theater teachers in high school were clued in rather quickly to the fact that Nathan does not have a trained vocal delivery and thus from a singing standpoint and thus should not sing. Um, gotcha. So I auditioned for, is this how it happened? I think maybe, I know this is not me tooting my horn here because I think I probably didn't audition knowing it was a musical. No, no, I remember the audition now. Strangely, I can recall being at this audition. Um, and because I couldn't sing, but because they wanted my persona to play the Snoopy character. Uh huh. They into the you're a good man, Charlie Brown. I probably shouldn't say the name of the high school because who knows? Maybe they would have gotten in trouble with the Samuel French company or something. Wrote the character of Woodstock into that play oh, in wow. order for the actor they cast as Woodstock to sing Snoopy's songs. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's so very funny. I got to um, say all of Snoopy's lines and vocally support the actor playing Woodstock, but by and large did not actually sing Snoopy's songs. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's yeah. Well, this is a fun little trip down memory lane. But I did awesome. I was in, I was it Snoopy is. and you're a good man, Charlie Brown. That um, is awesome. I mean I still, it makes sense you're so hairy. You know, like it's it Yeah. It's not <laughs> not that, however, is not why they cast me. <laughs> no. I did not go around with a beard. Um <laughs> oh, that was actually for Twelve Angry Men my senior year of high school. I did grow a beard for that. Um, oh good yeah for you you're it's a good much man sparser back then Nathan. but a lot less grayer yeah. too thank you mm, reed mm. <laughs> Woof, boom that's a, that's a that's a piece for that have you ever seen that show no i as much as i love peanuts i have not uh i have not seen it Charlie Brown. 
I don't even know the I don't even know the You're soundtrack. The kind I've not, I've, of reminder we need Chase Island. He probably he might have seen me. And another really fun story about the production. Of, see, I'm just going to go off here. Yeah, uh, sure. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Is during a performance. This is theater, everybody. During a performance of my high school production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, my high school's production, um, the fire alarm went off. Oh no! And yeah, and like good actors, we kept going. <laughs> until someone came down the aisle and was like you have to stop and you can't do this anymore <laughs> wow <laughs> like no 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 the show so, must go oh, on the show must go on <laughs> uh so what we did instead was after everyone had heard it out of the auditorium and we were all gathered at night probably some random friday night in columbus georgia um to await the fire engines and whatnot the cast performed the rest of the show out on the streets it was oh it was wow theater. that's theater. amazing that's amazing anyway that's... I feel like you're about to say something i just kept no going. no 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 no. i was just gonna say the it for obviously these shorts charlie brown christmas it's the great pumpkin charlie brown a couple of others but mainly those two are like you know prime yeah. time classic you know you have to have seen them i will heap a whopping recommendation on the more recent the peanuts movie from just a few years it is, ago it is good yeah i loved that movie i thought that movie was special and i thought it was really funny i thought it was very cute and charming has a genuinely very hope-filled and delightful thematic message the underneath animation it. is strong the animation is wonderful yeah um so i just i love i as a grown man have more than one occasion just watched the Peanuts movie because it fills my heart with so much delight. It is yeah, uh, it now is just, when you watch it and Snoopy comes on, picture me. I okay, that's <laughs> gonna be weird, but um, so I have a couple oh, of the, I have a couple what? of little trivial bits before we get into Tell the uh, the the substance of it. So uh, I did think this was funny after the special aired. Children all over the country mailed in candy for Charlie Brown. Which I thought mm, was funny. That's very sweet. That's nice. But this one bit of trivia. Did you do any trivial digging on this one? No. Okay. So this bit of trivia, I did not know before programming this content. This is from IMDb. This was on the trivia. Um, writer Ray Bradbury and his daughters tuned in to the premiere of It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown in 1966. In his biography, Bradbury said that they were so disappointed by there being no great pumpkin in the end that at the end of the show, his daughters got up and kicked the television set. He was wow. so he was so frustrated that he was then inspired to write his novel, The Halloween Tree, which is a oh. favorite a favorite novel of mine. I love it. About eight children who travel back through time to discover the origins of their Halloween costumes. Much to Bradbury's chagrin, The Halloween Tree was eventually published and promoted as a children's book, even though he had written it for people of all ages. And it, it really is applicable to like all ages. That's but. a very cool Isn't that awesome? trivial bit. Yeah. That is. That's fantastic. And that was just from, it's literally, I didn't go digging for hmm, I think Ray Bradbury. That's a Great reasonable Pumpkin, critique you know. of yeah. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's reasonable. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. It's like, I didn't quite know. This thing is 25 minutes long. And I didn't know exactly like how we were going to approach the conversation or whatever. So, I just, I don't have any... I don't have anything in my scares, although I, I do have one little statement. I should I shouldn't have spoke so quickly. I, I did, in my in my scares, literally mm -hmm. all I wrote down is there is no great pumpkin. That's that's yeah. all I wrote down in my in my. That'll fear, do it to you. Fear, fear category. Well, I'll, 
I mean, you know, as as a piece, it's it's lovely, it's charming, it's fun, it's short. Uh, my kids enjoy it. Um, I had forgotten how they do the I Gotta Rock three times. I found that hysterical <laughs> this time. I mean, Charlie Brown opening his um, pillowcase to discover he has a rock is funny enough. Mm-hmm. I had totally forgotten it happens three times. It's so and so great. it was just very, very moved and to, <laughs> to guffaw at poor Charles's luck. It's so funny. <laughs> um, I mean, there's, lots know, of- there's just some great, there's just some great kind of lasting comedy here, you know. Oh, yeah, by all means. She's not going to pull the football. Turns out she had to get it notarized, and that's how she justifies pulling the football. Um, I have two lines right here that I think are just please. so so funny to me. He says, I don't mind your dishonesty half as much as I mind your opinion of me. You must think I'm stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's like, Is as that he's walking to Lucy? Away, that's to Lucy, yeah. And then as he's walking yeah. away, he says, I guess if you have a signed document in pr- your possession, you can't go wrong. <laughs> I just thought that was like, it's like, it's, well, oh, man. It's funny because I, so I watched this um, for us about a week ago, and then we made some recording scheduling pivots. And so I hadn't rewatched it till then. And then just this evening, I turned it back on just to kind of, you know, put it fresh Refresh, in the range. Right, right. And what happened? My two bigs were watching it with me, two big kids. And Lucy says, I always find that you should wear something with a contrasting <laughs> a personality. A costume in contrast with your personality. Yes. And and it beget this whole dialogue between me and the 12 and 10-year-old about the definition of the word contrasting. Because <laughs> the 10-year-old thought, I don't remember how she interpreted it. But I was like, no, actually, I think... It means that Lucy is thinking way highly of herself and she is saying you contrast that with something really horrendous. It's the opposite in a certain level. Um, So it it had this really fun kind of teaching lesson of the word contrasting and and what that meant in that scenario. Um, It would have been a great inroad to to explain irony. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and also the 12 year old, you know, who you can tell where these kids are grade wise she was like yeah like compare and contrast i was like yes comparing is sort of developing similarities between things you know or finding what those might be contrasting is what are the differences in those things so it was a really great moment um that's awesome uh oh i mean we can't ignore charlie brown's holy sheet which (laughs) wasn't me trying to make (laughs) that was i love when the jokes make themselves (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man, that was so great! That was so great. I love it. So oh. It's really. But what funny. a just a, a great kind of lasting legacy of characters, and you know, you've got oh, Pig it's so Pen. wonderful. How did you know it was me? Um, <laughs> he lifts up the little scene. How did you know it was me? I love to where. Um, so I love, and we're about ba- we're bouncing kind of all over the place. The opening yeah. segment where. Uh, Linus goes and gets the pumpkin and rolls it in that delightful yes. little dun, 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 uh-huh. dun. and then when he gets it in Lucy begins to carve it he says you didn't tell yeah. me you were gonna kill it right <laughs> it's so cute uh, I love when um, when he uh, is sitting there writing the letter to the great pumpkin and then Charlie uh-huh. Brown comes up there he's like when you stop believing in the you know the big the the guy who brings uh, you presents at, at Christmas in the red suit and then Charlie Brown looks at we're obviously separated by denominational differences. Yeah. <laughs> and then one well, thing that made me, yeah, go ahead. I was just say one thing that made me chuckle so much, two lines from there. 
uh, is he says, but maybe but being number two, perhaps you try harder. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. And then the second one was, uh, is, you know, people say you are a fake. He says, P.S., if you really are a fake, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lesson just, there. There's a theme there. So mm. great. So great. What were well, you about to say? I, I, all I was going to say is just, kind of, if you've never watched this, it's such a breezy viewing, you know, do yourself a favor and oh my gosh, yes. partake. But the, the general thrust as... Uh, uh, exemplified by Reed's Bradbury story there is Linus is convinced there's this thing called the Great Pumpkin. He's going to go hang out at the pumpkin patch throughout the night. He invites Sally along to join. I mean, he wants anybody who'll join him, but specifically rope Sally into this misadventure, um, believing this Great Pumpkin is going to show up and give candy to kids and that sort of thing. And ultimately, that is not the case. And he never shows up. And Sally gets incredibly angry. Um, the she you owe me she restitution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, while all the other kids are enjoying their Halloween evening, um, but you know, do you have anything else you want to just kind of pinpoint beyond was, just bigger conversation? I do, I do, and then we can dive into the bigger conversation. Just a couple, so I uh, one sort of technical achievement thing. I do love, I love the overall short. I have gone on a bit of a journey with the animation sequences of the Red Baron. Mm. First couple of times I watched it, I was like, this is taking me away from the Great Pumpkin story. Why am I watching Snoopy? Much as I love Snoopy, why am I doing this? This time around particularly, I was really sort of drawn into like, wow, this is a really inventive little thing. Like this this, this has got a tremendous amount of creativity to it, not only in what you're physically seeing, but also just the animation, the different color schemes. That a dog would imagine all these things. (laughs) But I just mean like from an animation perspective, I'm like, no, like he's... You're seeing this blurring of the lines between his fantasy idea of what it's like to be the Red Baron and, mm-hmm. and you know, sort of. And and it I don't know why it struck me differently this time around, because, as I said, in previous viewings, I've always been like, oh, yeah, this is the Red Baron part. I'll just kind of zone out during this part. But I just really liked so much the imaginative nature of it, because, again, Halloween, which we haven't. I mean, this whole section is called This is Halloween of our programming this month. But we've talked before on the show how Halloween is really an opportunity. I know a lot of people, not our listeners, I don't think, but um, a lot of people get really funny around Halloween and the intersection of like, Oh, you're celebrating evil and darkness and all this other kind of stuff. There's, there's that ilk, which I don't want to be too dismissive of. I recognize I was very glib just a second ago, but um, Halloween to me has very much always been like this celebration of the fantastic and this, and, and an opportunity for, you know, celebrating the the corners of your mind that are a bit darker shaded or whatever. And I love that the other kids are just dressing up as the witch and all of the different ghosts. But then Snoopy is like really getting into it. He's the Red Baron, mm-hmm. you know, the the great flying ace. And uh, eventually the narrative culminates to where <laughs> in one of the most delightful connections where S- Snoopy has made his way into the pumpkin patch and all of a sudden, uh, you know, Linus is like, "What's that? What's that?" Right. And like Snoopy's rising up out of his. He's like, "It's the Great Pumpkin!" And I'm like, he I passes out. You, you, you guffaw every time. You guffawed when Charlie Brown got the rock the third time. I laugh almost every time Linus faints and then like wakes up and, and <laughs> Sally is so mad at this point. She's so furious and he wakes up. He's like, "What happened? Did he leave us anything?" Did he leave us any toys? And then she just goes off. I was robbed. I spent a whole night. I missed out on trick or treats. And um, so, but uh, but anyway, I just had to comment tricks on or like tricks or treats. Yes. Yes. 
I just had to comment on like I, I particularly this viewing. I was much more fond of the whole Red Baron flying ace uh, portion of Though, it. Though you're not totally wrong, it is a bit of a break in the narrative. But uh, yes, yeah. to to me, it just is a is a signal of the more comic strip nature of the source sure, material. Right, you right. Know? But yeah, it is funny yeah, you bring this up. If I can uh, incorporate another little family anecdote here, so me me turning this special back on this evening and my kids interacting with it was, and with me in relation to it was uh, after we had gone out to get the big kids, their costumes. And Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're home back home and, and, you know, because of COVID and whatnot, there's no like trying stuff on at the, at the store and stuff. So, so they had to check it out, try it on. And uh, my middle kid is interested in being Sally right now. And so she's got a Sally from Nightmare oh. Before Christmas. No, I'm sorry. Not okay, Peanut yeah. Sally. but not, Oh, uh, not Peanut Sally. Sally from Nightmare Burton Before Christmas. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, so she's she's standing there in her Sally costume. And, and we're both watching Great Pumpkin on my phone because I downloaded it to it just to have it at the ready. And, and she was like, you know, one of my friends at school, um, he, he said they're Christian. And so they don't celebrate Halloween. <laughs> and I said, well, what did you say to him? And she was like, well, I mean, we're Christian too. And, and we do. <laughs> and, I, and I said, you're right. And he's missing out. <laughs> he's missing out. Right. You know, I'm not, you know, it, it's like, I'm not going to dismiss them, but look at you dressed in your Sally costume. You know, <laughs> that's, right. that's so cool. That's so cool. Yes, exactly. So exactly. Yes, you're missing out. Um, All the people are missing out. Um, you so want to we... go into the pumpkin patch? Yeah, we can uh, dive into some deeper waters. I just want to make one anecdote because I don't know if it'll come up again. Not an anecdote, but uh, one yep. mention for how frustrating she is and she yanks the football away from Charlie Brown and she's, you know, kind of the mean one of the group. This is a thematic note. Lucy bringing Linus in yep. is just one of the sweetest things. It's, it's just, it's, it's so, it's so lovely. So yeah, m- maybe it, I just, I, that's literally all I wrote. Yeah. It's just like Lucy bringing Linus in. I got it right here and I wasn't things. sure whether to bring it up later or not okay, um, yeah. so, to tie yeah, off everything. Just, and in fact, what I wrote up, wrote down is Lucy gets up at 4 a.m. to go retrieve a freezing Linus from the pumpkin patch. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm going to be like a really weird not Debbie Downer, but introduce how this hit me this time in a way that I wasn't. Um, I want to tricks or treats. Um, uh, it, it's, I, I want to be careful to not be overly reductive, but knowing what I know of the meaning and legacy and impact of, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas to incorporate some religious overtones to the peanuts crew is not utterly misguided. Right. No, of course. You know, kind no, of, of re- course. reading some, some things into it. And, and I, I, in full disclosure to our listeners, you know, I called you and was sort of, it's our 200th episode. I was like, Oh my God, I don't want to show up and just be like, this is so dumb. Look at this thing. It's so wrongheaded. Um, but, and so I just wanted to kind of, that around a little bit with you to, to feel out how we sort of felt about this idea. Um, and there's, there's, there's nuance and, and distinctions to be made and qualifiers. And I'm always a fan of qualifying things, but this particular time it registered with me in a rather impactful way. And, 
and man, I thought about this in relationship to our Monster House conversation of mm, where mm-hmm. we got by the end of Monster House in terms of that dialogue right, and, and right. mm-hmm. these dichotomies. And and I was just watching <laughs> it's the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And like Ray Bradbury's daughters want to be like, but it's not the great pumpkin. Like it's not there. It's not a thing. Linus is childlike and we admire that and, and sort of laud that. But if we take the ideas that are at work here, it's Linus bought into some falsehood. He roped others into it, i.e. Sally, which pulled her away from meaningful community and fellowship and enjoyment of the life that she's been given in favor of like, let's hang out in this thing and do this thing that ultimately means nothing. And before listeners, before cautious listeners who think Nathan's on kind of shaky waters sometimes, um, <laughs> might hear this and think, I know, I know, Reed, not you. You're not a cautious listener. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I do want to, to juxtapose the fact that, you know, these characters experience don't exist in a vacuum. Um, meaning you also have uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, which, which right. fills the void that uh, is left in the wake of Linus's heresy. <laughs> anyway, my point simply is there's a thing we will occasionally, let me rephrase that. There's a thing we will often and with great fervor and with intense passion and with extreme myopia want to call God that isn't. Mm. And there is also the presence with and love of and fellowship among those whom are right with you that the previously mentioned fervor and myopia cause us to forget and neglect and not pay heed to, and at risk of beating a very dead horse, but this is episode 200. Thus we're reiterating all the things. If God comes to you disguised as your, as your life, here's your friends doing the things that are meaningful to them and, and meaningful to you, Linus. Mm-hmm. While and, and hear me, I'm, I'm not trying to have, a, a an elevated conversation about Linus being ignoring his friends. That's not the point. The mm, point is simply right. if I'm extrapolating, what jumped out at me was the religious fervor attached to a thing that did not earn that fervor, and right, what right. we then uh, uh, what we then lose in our attempt to feed and meet that fervor. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. Absolutely. It does. It absolutely does. Um, so, so Linus here is very interesting. I, I'm going to respond to the religious fervor conversation in my very, very rudimentary research in preparation for this episode. I discovered, though I have not read any of these texts that supposedly exist, the religious implications of the great pumpkin have apparently been like tomes have been written about uh, and you know in blogs and essays and everything about the religious implications of Linus's fervent devoted belief in the great pumpkin. 
Um, and presumably at the time, there were also contemporary to its publication there were or to its broadcast there were conversations about it and i should say out the gate charles schultz the creator always thought those conversations were very funny and perhaps a bit ironic because his whole impetus for it was not to make some profound religious or spiritual statement but was rather wouldn't it be funny if a kid mixed up christmas and halloween and sure and that yeah. you know so it's, so it's a cutesy charming sort of little you know exercise in that way yeah. but uh we do have the the metaphor at play and and Ray Bradbury would certainly approve. Let's uh you know let's let's consume the metaphor and let's see where it takes us. And I I feel like there's some admirable qualities to his devotion into Great Pumpkin. But we referenced it earlier. There is very much a choice on his part. It's it's cute. It's a joke. It's a comical line. But if we are if we are wrestling with the metaphor, his line in his letter, P.S., if you are a fake, don't tell me. I don't want right, to know. Right. There's there's a lot to that. <laughs> the, the first time I was, you know, like uh, viewing A for the podcast minus viewing, uh, you know, 2.0. Um, when that line happened, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> like oh oh linus i mean i guess at least well no that's probably not good you know if you're that self-aware <laughs> that's not a yes, exactly exactly <laughs> um and so there is largely a matter of will at play in the way that linus embraces this um honestly like sally only only hangs out with him because she thinks linus is sure. cute like that's you know that's the right, only right. reason that sally but, is hanging out with which him could could be youth groups across the country. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The only reason I went to church in the first place because I wanted to hold that girl's right, hand. Right. <laughs> well, come on. Um, so, um, but, but no, honestly, like, I go back and forth because, again, his devotion is admirable. There's some lines in the early part of it where literally, like, how many, who gets that many, who, what, what child is sitting down writing a letter and gets that many interruptions for people who don't even live in his house? Like, so all these people are just walking over and just like, you still believe in this? That is a struggle (laughs) for the, the verisimilitude at work here. Precisely. Um, but I think, (laughs) can the kid just write his letter? (laughs) Like, come on, just leave him alone. Um, he says, you know, there are three things I've learned never to discuss with people. Religion, politics, and the Great Pumpkin. Um, but I feel like what is admirable is, you know, he's not dissuaded by majority opinion. He's staying true to what he believes about this. That, that to a degree, can be considered admirable. We'll get there in a minute. Um, there's also, you know, there's, there's an innocence to, like, when he's sitting in the pumpkin patch, according to the lore of the Great Pumpkin, he's like, the Great Pumpkin rises out of the pumpkin patch that's the most sincere in all the world. Like, look! And he looks around, he says, look, this is, this is the most sincere, right? Not a, not Mm -hmm. a sign of hypocrisy as far as the eye can see. And here's what I find interesting about so, and maybe this is maybe this is literally hand in hand with what you're saying. Uh, maybe it's not, and we can certainly dialogue about it if it's not. What I find interesting about his approach to the belief is there would be probably a large amount of people who would point and say, "See, look, he is, you know, believing in something that is not real, and that's the." important takeaway is that he is putting all of his 
hopes into a thing that is not real and therefore, you know, how foolish that is. But Charlie Brown says something to him at the end that gave me my takeaway. Mm-hmm. Charlie Brown at the end says, because Linus is kind of like sullen about it all. He's like, another Halloween has come and gone. You know, like he's just sort of reflective on it. And then Charlie Brown's like, yeah, I've done some pretty, I've done some pretty stupid things in my time too. Like, you know, he's, he's just kind of trying to be sympathetic. I've, you know, I've done some pretty foolish things. And what that does in response is Linus then begins in an admittedly comical way to tirade Charlie Brown with next year you'll see I'm going to find the most sincere pumpkin patch and he's going to rise up out of it and you'll see and you'll all see. My takeaway from it is Linus spends this entire time believing that his belief will make it so. He believes in the power of his own will and faith. He's like and I know that I'm, I'm dissecting a kid's cartoon but He's hey, si- don't he, diminish it. Good. <laughs> he's sitting there, and and he's like, "Look, look, this is the most sincere pumpkin patch. Look, there's not a, there's not an ounce of hypocrisy." And then there's that one moment where he says, "You know, you'll see if the great pumpkin comes, I'll put in a good word for you." And then he's like, oh, "Good grief!" I said, "If something like that, you know, one slip like that will make the great pumpkin like pass you by, you know." And to me. Uh, there's a myriad of different possible interpretations and reflections that could be made. To me, this is much like our Wicker Man conversation, much like the conversations you and I have had a multitude of times about discernment and about the way we practice our faith. This is a human being who has bought into the belief that his own willful belief in a thing will cause its uh, appearing. Uh, sure. That 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 is what it like. I have to find the most sincere pumpkin patch. I have to stay in it all night to my own detriment. I have to miss out on all of the tricks and treats. I have to uh, do that. You know, I have to communicate to other people to sit and wait with me, and then surely that will cause the great pumpkin to to turn their head towards us. And I do find there's two conversations to be had about the Christian faith and its practice in our modern world. You asked me a question in the culminating conversation about the leftovers is what is more important or better or true, uh, you know, objective truth or a better story? Like which right. which is which is the more important thing? And I do find that there are people who hone in on they dig their heels in on this is the systematic theological objective truth, period. Don't argue with it. This is uh, this is the truth of the gospel. This is the truth of the um, you know the practice of the Christian faith, um, and they dig it in. And then there's there's a a way that people who either are bought in on that objective truth path, and I'm not even making a commentary. Obviously, I am a Christian, so I I, I don't uh, I'm not having the is objective truth real or not kind of conversation. I'm simply pointing out that there are others who seem to want in their behavior and their actions, they hold their truth so insecurely because the moment it is challenged or chastised or balked against or anything else, it's almost like they want to just like, 
again, shove it down your throat with the, their own veracity of how sure, sure. absolutely, unequivocally, uh, morally, like, this is it, period. And there is no, you know, I, I've read political reflections, I've read faith reflections, I've read everything where it, it, it's like the moment something is challenged, you can hear in what they are passing off as boldness, the, again, like, almost... You're like yelling at me, your belief in this thing. I'm trying to ask a question or I'm trying to raise a question or I'm trying to make a consideration. And it's almost like I'm, I'm, I'm hurricaned with this full force of like, no. And, and it, it feels very much like Charlie Brown and Linus at the end of this, at this little short where he's like, right. Yeah. I've done some dumb things too. What do you mean dumb? Like you just wait. Like next <laughs> next year. Like what do you I mean? I love like how animated you are right now. That was amazing. <laughs> I love it. I love because, it because that's what it feels like when somebody sort of like raises a thing and it gets challenged or it gets questioned or it gets pushed back against or something. And it's like if you push on it, like maybe like. Are we going about this the right way? I mean, simple little quick. Like, are we going about this the right way? Have we got this right? Have we interpreted the truth of the gospel correctly? Have, are we practicing discipleship in the way that Christ would want us to? Are we embodying uh, the great I am and and his love in the way that we need to? Or, mm-hmm. um, again, and this I'll, this I'll wrap up, and, yeah. and yes, by all means, are we doing the, the this the way that we should be doing? Um, and then in response to those questions, it's like you get a flood of don't, 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 no, 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 no. You'll see next week. If you really are a fake, don't tell me. I don't want to know. And, mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. like shoves it all at you. And, uh, and to me, that's what I take away from Linus's journey is just like he has a belief in the power of his own willful believing. And, uh, and anyway, that's hopefully well, you, that's you, coherent. You're introduced, for people. you unintentionally at least you intentionally did it for you without knowledge of how it would resonate for me. But that leftovers question of what's more appropriate or however it was phrased, you know, the the empirical truth or a better story. And, and hear me, I'm not actually criticizing. I'm not saying we should criticize Linus because his empirical truth is incorrect. I'm saying someone should say to Linus, what's the better story here? Mm -hmm. and how we frame that adds value to our life and the lives of those around us so that you aren't left yelling at Charlie Brown, your dear friend, Mm -hmm. because you, you missed it this time, but you're going to get it right next time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay for that feeling when we screw up in life. As Charles Holloway talks about the lemon cake in the middle of the night, I feel you, Charles Holloway. You're like, I'm tempted. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm going to go eat the, the lemon cake at midnight. Uh, and then I'm going to feel bad. And then I'm going to be like, I'm, I screwed up this time, <laughs> but maybe next time I'll get it wrong. <laughs> but when you scale that up into religious belief, that's a whole different ball of wax. Um, and phew, there's so many places that I'm tempted to go, but I didn't even mean for this to tie in the way it is when. My kid is recounting her interaction mm-hmm. with a peer right. who says, well, we don't do that because we're Christian. Mm-hmm. If I could go back three hours and say to her, well, I hear that. What do you think is a better story here? Mm-hmm. My child, who I love and give great permission to 
enjoy life? What, what do you love this? Look at you. You're in your costume. You look amazing. This is awesome. Is that fun to you? Yes. This is the story to pursue right now. It does not conflict, contradict, counteract faith in God, (laughs) you know, and, and which is, which is kind of the essence of the fear of God as a project, right? Mm -hmm. You can engage and interact and enjoy these ghastly things, occasionally ghastly things, (laughs) random funny story. (laughs) My, I forget that my wife follows the fear of God on Instagram and she does not engage much of our horror content though. She's actually impressed me greatly. She's uh, been trucking through Lovecraft country with me all the way. There's one episode left. And are you up on Lovecraft country? I, I am not caught up. I'm, no, I, it's I, fine. I, I, yes, I'm, I'm less interested in dissecting it than simply to say my wife who has trekked with me through it. It's a grisly show in lots of places. Mm, like mm-hmm. there are elements yeah. of it that I'm like, this is like upper level horror stuff that you're watching with me and you're like watching it, not like turning away and on your phone, uh-huh. but really, really funny. Uh, she was, and this is all this is just meant to be a funny story. She follows us on Instagram and I had posted the, the, the laser face from Halloween <laughs> three. And she's like, that's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in my life. I was like, you're right. It is. <laughs> there's no question being, there's no, there's nothing wrong with what nope. you just said. You are correct. No debate. <laughs> anyway, broader point simply being the entire project of the fear of God is to say to ourselves and to others, is this a thing you enjoy can engage and interact with? And, um, does God bless it? That's maybe a silly suggestion, but, does it contradict, counteract, or run uh, uh, contrary to uh, the ability to have full-fledged f- fullness of faith in God? No, it doesn't. So right, right, maybe, right. Linus, instead of looking for the great pumpkin in the one sincere patch, find the great pumpkin in your friends who are there and ready and willing to offer themselves and that enjoyment to you. That's there. uh that's yeah. that's 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 really lovely. And I so that's a that's a potential winding down place. And so But you're about to wind us up. I I hope not. Um uh, but You do know we're having some technological issues, so be careful. I do, I do know. I do know. I do know. <laughs> um but I so so here's what I want to say for my own sanity if not for anybody else listening is I do deeply believe that I, I, I want to be very careful here because I don't think this is completely contrasting to the objective truth or a better story object. I am sensitive to the fact that I do not make reality. I am sensitive to the fact that I do not. Um, it, 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 one one of my biggest frustrations when I'm talking with people, friends of mine, who will sometimes be wrestling with neuroses, wrestling with situations in their world. And, and this ties back to, to my feelings about Linus is I feel like when you're mature and when you are full of spirit and framed towards seeking goodness in, in your behavior and seeking goodness for those you love and even for maybe your enemies just seeking goodness in the world i have no conflict with the better story consideration mm-hmm. that having been said for the sake of brevity 
I know people who have embraced what was a better story in their mind, and it's killing them. Sure. And 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 so and so I, again, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I can I'm, see the. The- I'm, I'm making this statement here again for my own sanity, not to put to necessarily yeah, push I back agree. on anything you've said or anything, but it's just like I feel like I don't want to so generalize the idea of is this a better story? Because again, I think maturity plays a part. I think discernment plays a part. I think your um, directional path towards uh, wholeness and goodness that can be challenged by community, that can be uh, 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 countered by the people who love you as Lucy and Charlie and the whole gang come and try to draw Linus out of the pumpkin patch unsuccessfully. And Lucy's very frustrated because she keeps keep collecting his candy for him. She's like, I can't believe I'm collecting candy for my blockhead brother because he's not out doing this thing. Right. You know, it's like, uh, like we have to be willing. And this is maybe where I would, where I would for my own sanity, push back a little bit against the, you know, empirical truth versus uh, a better story idea is I think asking that question is great. I think I can't ask that question in a bubble or I can embrace what I consider to be a better story uh, to my own destruction and to my own end. Because Linus, Linus believes the better story is the great pumpkin. He believes that, 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 that the great pumpkin rising out of the most sincere pumpkin patch in all the world to bring toys to all these children. That is the better story to him. And he centers his world around it. And I think it, it, again, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse to say I do think I'm I'm sensitive to my own child, our listeners, people who would say you know like like I don't believe in moral relativism and I don't think that sure. you're positing that either. Um, but I just I just wanted again for my own sanity to say like yeah I don't think choosing the better story should or can be successfully done in a vacuum and and that yes. was really awesome. and I think that's I would have absolutely affirmed that all up and down the line um you know not to get roar on you here but he references often the 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 three that the a stool um mature faith is like a stool with three legs and those three legs are uh scripture faith and tradition i'm sorry let me rephrase that uh that mature faith the three legs on the stool are scripture tradition and experience that only okay. those things working in harmony with each other are going to manifest not just a better story but maybe the best story or some whiff of the best story. So yeah, right, I'm right. absolutely with you. Like um, to, to invoke in my sort of uh, uh, musing a moment ago of, of, to my own child, what's the better, what's the better story. We, we need to temper that with some empirical something. We need to temper your experience with scripture mm-hmm. and tradition. We need to temper yeah. your tradition with scripture and experience. We need to temper right. your scripture with experience and tradition. Like Mm -hmm. these things in harmony are what are going to result in a fruitful expression of faith um, and a mature walking through the world in that expression of faith. I'm going to end us on, I'm going to end me on a pretty radical idea that I've been sort of pondering whether to throw out. Like uh, I would have to go hunt for where this is, but um, actually I think it's in uh, Roar has a book called What Do We Do With the Bible? And I think it might be in there. It's also maybe in some of another name for everything. But Reed, he, this is radical and a, a person first hearing an idea like this, not you, but might be like, oh my God, that's, that's crazy talk. But <laughs> he's like, uh, in, in the Trinitarian kind of idea, he's like, God is the source. 
the spirit is the animating force and materiality is the Christ, which is different and yet not from Jesus. But where I'm mm-hmm. going with this is he references the second coming and this sort of idea, this, this stew and, and radical idea alert. His notion <laughs> is the second coming is here and it is us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. I understand. And what so you're when I right. say Linus, the great pumpkin is here and it is the fellowship gathered around you. That's what I'm invoking. Like I, you are present with the Christ in your comings and goings, which isn't meant to negate the potentiality of some sort of future consummation. It's meant to say, be less like who isn't an evil person, be less like Linus waiting for the great pumpkin that may or may not ever materialize the way you think it should. Right. And perhaps instead reframe the lens through which you comprehend the great pumpkin. Mm -hmm. Yes. And what a, I do find the, the idea lovely that like while Linus was sitting in the pumpkin patch waiting for the great pumpkin to come, it came in the form of Lucy and Charlie and the rest of the gang saying, come trick or treat with us. Right. And I, another thing that I love. So, uh, and, and maybe this is an appropriate piece. I don't know if I've ever referenced this on the show before, but um, the the contrast, and I recognize, you know, we're we're going long, but I think uh, I might be done after this. So I'm going to be very careful because uh, my child is still awake, and so I'm going to You're about to reference voice, the big man. I'm about to reference the big man. Um, <laughs> so the, I'm about to reference the fat man. So. Um, there is a, uh, an idea that I heard expressed that said a way to, that proposed a way to transition your child mm-hmm. into a, a mature belief about Santa Claus is having a conversation with them about going from believing in Santa Claus to becoming Santa Claus. And so what you do is you, in this notion or in this concept, you sit them down at an appropriate age. You peel back the layer and you say, hey, uh, Santa Claus is us, you know, like mm-hmm. giving mm-hmm. giving you gifts and everything. And the reason I'm lowering my voice yeah. is because our, our child still believes. And, um, and so then what you do is you say, we're going to select a family, a friend, a loved one, and we are going to gift them unexpectedly, mm-hmm. anonymously. Uh, you know, spontaneously, we're going to gift them something. We're going to do something nice for them. And we're going to, in a sense, become Santa Claus. And so what I what I really responding to very strongly, uh, my voice will rise a little bit because I'm kind of off the, the metaphor yep. idea. Um, what I'm really responding to very strongly in your, um, you know, uh, I don't know how meticulously you planned expressing that notion of, hey, the Great Pumpkin did visit him. It just did not, a being did not rise out of the pumpkin patch. Instead, his friends came and Lucy came and collected him and and brought him back so that he was safe and warm again uh, for for the next day. And so, uh, so that is... That is the way in which that came about to him, and him reframing that could be akin to mm-hmm. um, it, it could be akin to uh, you know believing in Santa Claus, then becoming Santa right, Claus. Right. It could also this is as 
in my mind, as bold as, as you were being. It could also be, uh, you know, greater things than you have seen me do, you will do. It could also sure. be, you know, you are my hands and feet. You know, it could, right. it could also be those right things. Um, and, and I think that, you know, without stepping into, because I, I'm not interested in that conversation in this moment, without getting into the eschatological, all of the end times sure. things that, that could be had about that conversation, I feel charged with, hey, uh, believer, disciple, you are my hands and feet to the world. When I, like, my spirit is in you, so you are me to this world present right now. That is right. a belief right. that I hold dear, that I hold sacred, and I feel as an ambassador of reconciliation is my charge to the way I am supposed to be in the world, the way mm-hmm. that I am supposed to navigate my family, my friends, my loved ones. Uh, that is how I am supposed to be in the world. And so, um, yes, for me, uh, it, it does strike that uh, Linus really missed out in the fact that he had a very specific interpretation of what was going to come. And perhaps uh, there is a, it does not, invalidate the truth of what he is you know hoping for sure. and seeking um it merely recontextualizes it and puts it in um in in a way that he can experience it and enjoy it and and love right. it and treat it Absolutely. more maturely and appropriately and properly and um and so yeah that's uh that's my. That's, that's the great a, pumpkin, Ray that's, the, that's the great pumpkin, <laughs> Nathan Rouse. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce something at the at the tail oh, end boy. of this that we that we didn't discuss. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend we skip the fog meter on on the great pumpkin. Um, fog that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think it goes without saying this this Halloween of 2020 that we both genuinely recommend sure it's the great pumpkin charlie brown it is a delight of a half hour and it is joyful i watched it with my orange pumpkin lights in my living room and no other light on in the house and it was just a pure delight to experience that in that uh in that way um but uh but yes uh by by whatever means you engage with it um uh, may may the spirit of the, I say this in sincerity may the spirit of the great pumpkin or any other uh holiday delight and tradition uh just uh, bring your heart full of joy this this Halloween season or any season for that matter I think that's a, a really warm and delightful uh thought to to ponder on um so do you want do you want to just pivot it out for next week we good sure yeah right. next week is we bring it home uh, something wicked this way has come and we are <laughs> we are definitively and decisively unpacking uh part three what is the title of part three uh departures departures, departures is part three. uh speaking of departures uh here we are <laughs> suddenly um we will be discussing part three of something wicked this way comes by ray bradbury and then unpacking uh some of its uh, uh thematic ideas to uh explore there Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm super excited for next week. Uh, it's also our, our Halloween week. We hope your Halloween season is going very, very well. Look forward to that conversation next week. And as we say on every single episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing with all of the sincerity 
and not a sign of hypocrisy anywhere in sight. <laughs> uh, Nathan, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank I really you, appreciate Reed, it. Thank you for 200 episodes. For 200. Yeah. 200. Thank you for 200. Oh, that's so, so crazy. So crazy. Uh, well, listeners, thank see you, you for, next week. Yeah. Thanks for sticking around. We'll see you next week and we'll do it all again. Have a good one. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork. To Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. And to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.